the resurrection is the bedrock of our faith. Destroy it, and you destroy everything. The Apostle Paul put it this way. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Since it is foundational to our faith, belief in the resurrection of Christ is constantly under attack by the enemy and his cohorts. Skeptics and deniers are continually hammering away, and they've been doing so for 2,000 years. Beginning with the lie the soldiers were paid to spread, many elaborate scenarios have been put forth to explain it away. And central to most of them is the belief that the disciples wanted to believe in the resurrection so much that they deceived themselves into believing it. If that were true, they did an unbelievably good job of deceiving themselves. If that were true, they were willing to die for a lie of their own making. There is, however, a fatal flaw to such conjecture. The disciples did not expect Jesus to rise from the dead. And they, as well as the women, did not believe it until the evidence overwhelmed their unbelief. That they found it extremely hard to believe in the resurrection is clearly displayed in their reaction to the discovery that the body of Jesus was missing. Picking up our study in Luke 24. And it happened that while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling apparel. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Perhaps we need to back up a bit to understand what had perplexed the women. As we noted last week when they got to the tomb, bringing the spices they had prepared, they found the stone rolled away and the body of Jesus missing. Obviously, they hadn't come to see if Jesus had risen. They didn't run to the tomb on Sunday morning expecting to find him gone. They didn't go to the tomb on the third day to see if Jesus had risen as he had said he would. They went there to care for his body. On Friday night, the women had followed Joseph and Nicodemus to the tomb and watched as they prepared Jesus' body for burial. Apparently, they didn't think the men did a good job. So they went back into town, prepared additional spices, and returned to the tomb on Sunday morning to do it right. If they had expected him to rise from the dead, 
Why bother? Obviously, they did not expect it. They didn't even think of it. When they got there, however, Jesus' body was gone, and they were perplexed. Now, critics are quick to point out what they see as discrepancies in the four accounts of the resurrection. Luke pictures all the women arriving at the tomb together at daybreak. John seems to indicate that Mary Magdalene got there by herself while it was still dark. Luke tells us two men in dazzling apparel appeared standing near the women in the tomb. Mark tells us they saw a young man wearing a white robe sitting at the right. Matthew tells us an angel descended from heaven, rolled away the stone, and sat upon it. John tells us Mary Magdalene looked into the tomb and saw two angels sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where Jesus had been lying. Some see a big problem here. But there would be an even bigger problem if the accounts were all identical. If every detail was the same, it could indicate collusion, that they had gotten their stories straight before telling them. The differences in the accounts assure us that this is not a collaborated story, that what we have is four independent accounts of the same event. And there need not be any contradictions here, not if we put the stories together. Now, just because Mark only mentions one man in white doesn't mean there was only one. And while Mark and Luke refer to them as men in white or dazzling clothing, Matthew and John make it clear they were indeed angels. And they moved around. They were living beings, not statues. With regard to the arrival of the women, apparently Mary Magdalene got to the tomb first. She looked in, ran off to tell Peter and John about it, and then the others got there. You know, without going into every alleged contradiction, let me assure you, they can all be resolved. Besides, Luke isn't giving us all the details. He's simply making it clear that Jesus had risen and that the women were perplexed. When they found the body was gone, they didn't rejoice. They didn't cry, praise God, he's risen. They were perplexed. They were upset. They couldn't figure out why someone had taken the body. John even tells us that when Mary Magdalene saw the risen Christ, apparently returning to the tomb after the others had left, she thought he was a gardener. At least she did so until he spoke her name. Blinded by tears and unbelief, she had actually accused him of taking his own body. The answer to the angel's question, why do you seek the living one among the dead, is obvious. They were not seeking the living one. They were looking for a dead body. They had seen him die. All hope was gone. They never even gave a thought to the possibility that he had risen. Why? Quite simply, they had forgotten. Luke continues. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee? 
saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again? And they remembered his words and returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now Luke actually just recorded that. Those were the words of the angels. But in addition to what Luke did record, the angels told the women there was no need to be afraid or to even be amazed. What they were seeing should have been expected. And after reminding them that Jesus had said he would rise, they were invited to look at the place where he had been laid. They were then told to go tell the disciples that he had risen and to remind them of an appointment they had with him that he had told them he would meet them in Galilee. Apparently, they thought the appointment had been canceled due to circumstances beyond control. And death does have a way of changing plans and canceling appointments. But death had not changed any of Jesus' plans. The appointment was still on. The angels also reminded the women of something Jesus had said in Galilee and elsewhere more than once. He had said the Son of Man would be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise again on the third day. He had said it often and in several ways. The first time he foretold his death and resurrection was after the cleansing of the temple, right after his ministry began. It was then that he had told the Jews that if they destroyed the temple, speaking of his body, he would raise it up in three days. Later, when he was asked to give them a sign, he told them no sign would be given except for the sign of Jonah. That as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a sea monster, so would the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, the three days and three nights does throw us a bit, since Jesus wasn't in the tomb for three nights. But the Jews considered any part of a day to be the whole, and for them the way it was expressed was not a problem. Then, When coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus told Peter, James, and John to not tell the others what had happened there until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Shortly after that, while the disciples were gathered together in Galilee, he said, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. Finally, As they were on their way to Jerusalem, he told them everything written through the prophets about the Son of Man would be accomplished, that he would be delivered to the Gentiles, would be mocked and mistreated and spit upon, and that after they had scourged him and killed him, he would rise again on the third day. He had made it very clear. Clear enough for the Jewish authorities to believe it, but apparently they hadn't believed what he had said. Now, it is true, 
He often spoke in parables and analogies. And that, along with preconceived notions about the kingdom of God, may explain why they didn't take him literally, why they weren't expecting him to die, actually die, and rise again. But when confronted with the empty tomb and reminded of his words, the women did believe he had risen, and they carried the news to the rest of the disciples. So how did the apostles receive the news? Did the truth of what Jesus had been saying for three years suddenly become clear? Did they exclaim, oh, so that's what he's been talking about. That's what he's been trying to tell us. We should have expected him to rise from the dead. No, they didn't. And they wouldn't believe. Verses 10 through 12. Now they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James. Also, the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. And these words appeared to them as nonsense, and they would not believe them. Peter arose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings only. And he went away to his home, marveling at that which had happened. Now again, Luke doesn't give us all the details here. He doesn't give us all the details about how the women got the message to the apostles. John makes it clear that Mary Magdalene actually got to Peter before John and the rest got the word. Eventually, however, the word came from the women to all 11 on resurrection day. And how did they respond? The apostles dismissed the women's report as nonsense. The word means idle talk, foolish talk, silly women's chatter. Medical writers use the term to describe the wild talk of those in a state of delirium or hysteria. Bottom line, they wouldn't accept it. They refused to believe the women. Why? Because they weren't expecting it. It didn't make sense. It sounded implausible and impossible. Obviously, they did not fabricate a story they wanted to believe. They didn't deceive themselves into believing something they wanted to believe. They refused to believe it when told what had happened. And they didn't even believe it when they saw the empty tomb and the linen wrappings. Now, verse 12 is not in all the manuscripts and may not have actually been written by Luke, but the facts are clear from John's account. Peter and John ran to the tomb after Mary Magdalene told them the tomb was empty. John got there first, looked in, and saw the linen wrappings. When Peter got there, he barged in and saw the empty wrappings and the face cloth rolled in a place by itself. Obviously, the body had not 
been stolen, no one would unwrap it before taking it. John followed Peter into the tomb and tells us he saw and believed, but what did he believe? Apparently not that Jesus had risen, for he writes that they didn't yet understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. He simply believed Jesus was gone. It was obvious. The tomb was empty. But even after seeing the empty tomb, John didn't believe in the resurrection, and neither did Peter, in spite of the fact that verse 12 tells us that after seeing the wrappings, he went home marveling at what had happened. That sounds like he was thrilled, amazed at what had happened. But the NIV puts it this way. He went away wondering what happened. I think they got it right. Peter wasn't marveling at the resurrection. He was wondering about what he had seen, trying to figure out what had happened. John verifies that. He says, for as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own home. They didn't even consider the possibility of a resurrection. The resurrection, therefore, was not the product of wishful thinking on the part of Jesus' disciples. They didn't believe it themselves, at least not initially. In fact, it took considerable convincing for them to believe it. Jesus had to appear to them personally Several times, they had to see him, talk with him, and some even had to touch him before they would believe it. Only then would they become witnesses, willing to die for their conviction that Jesus had risen from the dead. Like us. They had to be persuaded that Jesus really was alive. And as we noted last week, even though we can no longer see the resurrected body of Jesus, we can be persuaded by the historical evidence that he did, in fact, rise from the dead. It's my prayer that you have indeed been persuaded. Let's pray. Father, there are doubters all around us, constantly belittling our faith and attacking our confidence in you and your word and the truth. Help us understand the challenges before us. Help us be prepared to answer those who say this is just a story. This is not something to be taken literally. No one could rise from the dead. Father, we know Jesus rose from the dead. We've examined the historical evidence. We've seen 
the change that came in the lives of the apostles who did not believe it, could not be convinced until finally they actually saw him and talked to him, touched him and ate with him and watched him ascend into heaven with the promise that he's coming back. Let their discovered faith, their confidently established faith become our faith. Help us to stand firm in the promise that we have a risen Savior who loves us, who can indwell us, and he will one day return and every eye will see him. Father, it's my prayer that if our faith has not been deepened to that extent, we'll be persuaded of the truth today and we'll be able to go out and with the grace that comes from your spirit and the wisdom you give us, hopefully be able to persuade others. That's our prayer in Jesus' name.